Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. It's been a couple weeks since I've been on air, but I'm happy to be back with you guys. And thank you, as always, for tuning in to this exciting episode I have to present today. I guess there's a thunderstorm going on. Whew. Anyways, I wanted to present something today that I've been getting a ton of questions about online through the uh, viewer section on Instagram. You guys have been sending your questions to me regarding where you could potentially get stationed in the Coast Guard. So that is a huge topic to cover, and I'm going to do my best to tackle it today for you guys because there's a lot to unpack out of that, and it's highly dependent on going back into earlier topics of discussion, what you choose to do for a job. So with that being said, let's go ahead and cover a couple different things here. First of all, you do, I think I have mentioned this earlier in a couple episodes, have the opportunity, if you're enlisting in the Coast Guard, to talk to your recruiter about getting a guaranteed district. So what that does is it guarantees you a specific zone that you're guaranteed to get stationed in for your first tour. And what that guarantee could look like is District 1, for instance. I got a guaranteed district when I enlisted into the Coast Guard for District 1. My goal and intention was to go back to Maine because I had another business I was running there at the time, and I wanted to be close by so that I could see family, still manage the business, hang out with friends that I still had up there, and coming into boot camp, I was fully expecting to. I put my name on the dream sheet that you get to fill out there saying where you want to go. I put priority as the job, not the fireman or seaman position. I would have willingly done either one. And I got put in uh, Newport, Rhode Island as my first district or first area that I was going to be stationed in on my cutter. And that is about Four and a half hours to where my home was, where I was expecting to do an hour, hour and a half commute had I gotten stationed in Maine like I expected. So just want to throw that out there to start out is that if you take advantage of the guaranteed district offer, you're not guaranteed to go back home. If you live in a town with a Coast Guard station, you may get put in a different town that has the needs of your service at the time because needs of the service do come higher. With that being said, though, Districts tend to make it easier to travel on long weekends and holidays back home. So because I was still in District 1, I was able to drive home and not have to use my hard-earned leave on a three-day weekend or, you know, the holiday period where we have holiday routine. I'm still within boundaries that I don't need to request leave. And you'll know as you get into the Coast Guard that leave is a very valuable asset to have. So... The less of it you have to use, the better you can bank up. Because unlike a PTO vacation in a civilian job, you have to use your leave all seven days of the week that you're off. So if you're going to be gone from the area for seven days, you got to use seven days worth of leave. So you can't just take the Monday through Friday and say, oh, well, I'll be back next Monday. It doesn't work that way. you got to use leave whenever you're not home. So leave's a very valuable tool that you want to save if possible. Covering them real quick. District 1 is the New England district, so you know that stretch of coastline from Maine to New York City, essentially. You got Massachusetts, New Hampshire, 
Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New York City. So the rest of New York is part of District 9, which is a separate district that I'll touch on here in a moment. Working down the East Coast after New York City, it turns into District 5. So District 5, you'll have Philadelphia, so Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Um, you got Virginia's part of D5. North Carolina's part of D5. Delaware's part of D5. So these guaranteed districts will lock you into those regions. But as you can tell by what I'm saying, there's a lot of variety within them. Moving down south, District 7 comes into play, going from South Carolina, so think Charleston, you have Georgia, all of Florida is District 7, so that's your whole D7 uh, stretch. So we got three districts along the East Coast seaboard now. I did mention Philadelphia was part of District 5, but also Inland Pennsylvania on the river system is also part of the same district as Inland New York, which is District 9 which is the Great Lakes region, and that also covers some of those western regions of Pennsylvania and New York as well. So like Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, that's all part of District 9, which is actually a gem of a district, even though you know a lot of people say it sounds pretty cold. Um, it is, from what I hear, really good working conditions up there in any of those cities. You got like Sector. Well, I'll get into sectors in a little bit here, so I'll save that. But uh, District 8 is technically the largest district by region because you have District 8 Western Rivers. So surprisingly, you can get stationed in, you think like Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, any of these inland areas do have uh, Coast Guard on the Mississippi River waterways. So... Going all the way up the Mississippi River, you can get in any of those locations on maybe a river buoy tender or a construction tender up that way. So inland stations are a possibility. West Virginia even has some stations. So there's definitely a lot of inland possibilities that are considered part of D8 Western Rivers. Uh, Then you have District 8 Gulf Region. So think Louisiana, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi. That's all part of the D8 Gulf region, obviously Gulf of Mexico. And then we have District 11, which is California, which encompasses all the way from San Diego all the way north to Humboldt Bay. So the entire state of California is its own district, District 11. But anyone that's been to California knows just how big that area is. So, you know, you think you're going back home to San Diego and you end up in Humboldt Bay, pretty far away still. So remember Kawiat MTOR with that guaranteed district. And then north of that, District 13, you got Oregon and Washington. And that's Washington State. Um, that's kind of your Pacific Northwest region. And then you have D14, which is Hawaii in the Hawaiian Islands. And you have D17, which is Alaska. So. Those are your districts within the continent of the United States, and those are like regions of where you can potentially get stationed. I just wanted to throw that out there as a quick overview in case anyone is thinking about enlisting and taking advantage of guaranteed districts so that you know 
pretty much your geographic region ability that you're going to be stationed in um, if you do take one of those guaranteed districts. And they're not all going to be available. Obviously, Hawaii was available as a guaranteed district. A lot of people take advantage of that. So it's all by needs of the service on that, too. If less people want to go to the colder regions of the country like Alaska, the Great Lakes, and New England, those might be the available guaranteed districts when you put down. But go ahead, ask your recruiter, see what's available at time of opportunity. Now, getting into the meat and the potatoes of this discussion, there is a ton of places, even coming out of boot camp, that you can get stationed. So I'll cover the really basics of how it was in the past and how it is now due to the shortage of personnel in the Coast Guard. So when the Coast Guard had a surplus of people and there wasn't a shortage, you could potentially come out of boot camp as a sector non-rate. And what a sector non-rate is, is someone that's not assigned to a boat station or a cutter. They're assigned to a regional land-based sector and you know they had various jobs there uh one of my friends was at a sector and he was assigned to be the mailroom assistant was his job title so he would essentially go and grab the mail and ship out packages he ended up striking and becoming a storekeeper but he ended up getting that gig because at the time that he got into the coast guard there was a surplus of billets that they didn't need every single non-rate on a cutter or at a small boat station for operational billets. So it was kind of a support tour billet. And it was really nice to gear people up that were going into those support roles after they went through a school and were coming back to careers that were going to be primarily at sectors. Of course, no one knows what your future prospects are in boot camp. Even if you put it down, it's all going to be about needs of the service So it's just happened to be luck of the draw for that situation. Another one of my instructors at A school, she was a sector non-rate. That's job was to do the scullery, which is essentially cleaning all the dishes for everyone that eats lunch at sector. Uh, You get the title called the mess cook. So she'd be washing dishes at the sectors. But, you know, these sector non-rate positions were highly, highly coveted because you get a lot of people that, don't want to ship out, go out to sea, or have that lifestyle that the small boat stations have for their schedules of two on, two off, and slide in weekends. And what that is essentially, you come in Monday and Tuesday, you get Wednesday and Thursday off, and then you have to work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But then the next week, you get Monday, Tuesday off, come in and work Wednesday and Thursday, and then you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday off that next week. So every other week, you're working five days, and then you're on call 24-7 during those five days. But every other week, you're off five days on that. So it's kind of a very unique lifestyle schedule that doesn't necessarily mesh with everyone. Not everyone likes the job necessarily of the small boat station for their work style the best. So why people really coveted those sector non-rate positions were... They were a lot easier on like a normal schedule per se because sectors have a much more nine to five lifestyle than small boat or cutter does. Now, in today's environment, you're not going to be a sector non-rate. And this is me saying this in September 3rd of 2023. People aren't getting sector non-rate jobs unless there's extreme, extremating circumstances. I had a friend that ended up getting at a civil engineering unit 
a shoreside job because she was pregnant and couldn't serve on the cutter. Like that was like a very high exception. Other than that, you're either going to be on a cutter or at a boat station because we're short people and they need people at these locations. So cutters in small boat stations are located everywhere around the country. And what's incredible about the Coast Guard that I truly really like about this service is the Coast Guard, you can be stationed in very small community towns. The first cutter I ever worked on for a week was based out of a small fishing town in Gloucester, Massachusetts. If you've ever watched the George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg movie, uh, The Perfect Storm, where they go out sword fishing, they went out of Gloucester, Massachusetts, just a little fishing town like that. And you'll see that's pretty common around the country that these little inlet towns have a Coast Guard cutter or maybe an asset like in Bristol, Rhode Island, we have the aids to navigation unit. So there's just a couple little Tamby style boats with a crane on them that serve as tiny aids to navigation. But you're stationed in Bristol, Rhode Island, which is a pretty unique, small coastal New England town, which is pretty cool if I do have to say so myself that same with the small boat stations, they're stationed in more remote areas because it's all strategically placed about how our assets can be spread out to be able to recover people in an effective and safe amount of time between boat crews, air stations, cutters, and it's very logistically well thought out. And it's really neat because I'm someone that doesn't necessarily want to live on a big military base and that's why I'm kind of in a smaller service like the Coast Guard instead of other services that are larger is so that it's kind of the smaller military feel. And with the Coast Guard, a lot of times being at these smaller stations is you're in the military at your facility, but then you take off the uniform and now you're a community member. You're a part of that community that you're in. And that is a high, high attractive selling point to a lot of people with these careers is that we put off the uniform now. We're just another member of the community. We still are members of the armed services, and we have the, our responsibilities of being public servants to the government and the military. But you really feel like you're just another member of the community, and you're not in a sheltered base environment which is nice in a lot of ways for a lot of stations and I don't want to say that's everywhere if you get stationed in a big city sometimes they'll have you stay in housing on bases so any big city along the coast is going to have coast guard station availability so if you think of inland cities like Atlanta, Georgia, you're not going to find a Coast Guard unit there besides maybe recruiters. You know, recruiters will be in those bigger inland cities sometimes. So don't take this as a blanket statement, but for the most part, you're going to find the big cities that do have Coast Guard presence are going to be along the coastline. So if you can think of any big city along the coast, let's name a couple, New York City, Los Angeles, California, Seattle, Washington, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Jacksonville, Florida, Miami, Florida, Charleston, South Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, Norfolk, Virginia, 
Virginia Beach, you get the picture that there are at all these places going to be huge concentrations of Coast Guard. The big concentration of Virginia actually isn't Norfolk, that's the Navy, but we're close by in Portsmouth, Virginia. Just Norfolk's easier to kind of wrap your head around the region. They're side by side, essentially, though. So, with that in mind, you could get stationed at any of those big conglomerate areas. Now, what's at that big conglomerate area? You got a lot of cutters. For Portsmouth, Virginia, for instance, there's probably eight, I think now, 270-foot cutters that each have crews of 80 people. So do the math, 8 times 80, that's a lot of Coast Guard there, right? Like 650 Coast Guard members there on cutters alone. And then they have small boat stations in that region. And then they have district buildings and sectors that are kind of your shoreside-based units. And we can get into this discussion in other episodes as to where you more likely get stationed on a cutter and where you more likely get stationed shoreside. But just to give you a quick wraparound, you're more than likely going to be shoreside if you're in like a field like marine science technician, intelligence specialist, yeoman, storekeeper. Those rates are more primarily shore-based. Now, don't knock bosun mate, machinery technicians, electronics technicians, electricians mates. They all have shoreside positions at boat stations. But my cut is primarily, are you working on boats or are you working to support those boats from a shoreside unit? That's kind of how I cut those. So shoreside gigs for those rates would be like in ESD, which is an electronic safety detachment that go work on the small boats, but they're primarily based as a support unit shoreside. So... To try to stay on scope, though, with the topics of the episode of where you can be stationed, um, we're going to go with any of those big city locations. That's number one, and most and foremost. Next, you have a bunch of small boat stations and one-stop shop cutters in smaller coastal communities. So... We're still thinking coastal communities here, so all those outline all those states outlining the Pacific and Atlantic and Gulf of the United States. And when you think of smaller communities, I think of places like I mentioned earlier, Gloucester, Massachusetts, where it's kinda of like a town that maybe not everyone knows off the top of their head and you're kinda of surprised that it's there. But think like out west, you have San Francisco. So Sector San Francisco is one of the biggest stations for Coast Guard in the area. But then a little bit further to the east is a little town called Alameda. There's a bunch of Coast Guard there as well. But when you think of the area, everyone knows San Francisco. Alameda might be a little bit less known. So what you have to do, and this is the highest recommendation I can give you, is when you've picked a job that you want in the Coast Guard and you know what you want to do for a job, every rate should have a page somewhere on 
public knowledge that you can do some research into or at least asking, you know, current Coasties around is a good practice too or going to the Coast Guard Reddit. And you could get a list. Where can I get stationed as a bosun's mate in the Coast Guard? And that should come up with a comprehensive list of small boat stations, cutters, basically any platforms that bosun's mates can take advantage of. And there are one-stop shops for some of these specialized rates. We always used to joke that there's this bosun mate position where you're working for the U.S. Embassy in Japan as a bosun mate chief, so an E7, driving around some emissary's yacht in Japan. Overseas, we also have fleets in U.S. territories, so Guam and Puerto Rico. And we also have smaller detachments for those in the marine science technician fields or those support rates, like I mentioned earlier, for the Virgin Islands, the Samoa Islands, and Saipan. So never knock out if you want to go overseas that the Coast Guard is not going to be able to accommodate that. The biggest overseas unit that we have is in the Middle East in an area called Bahrain. And we have a bunch of cutters over there, and there's a bunch of landside unit assets over there. So if you want to go serve overseas, that's a one-year billet tour for Bahrain. Most other overseas tours are normal-length overseas tours of three years, except for those really remote ones. I think the Samoa Islands is a year as well. So some of the remote ones, like Bahrain again, will give you a year. And the advantage of taking those billets is you're away from home for a year, but then you kind of get priority as to where you want to go next. So if you're trying to go to a really desired area and there's a specific niche billet that you want, the way to almost guarantee that or highly make yourself attractive for it is by taking advantage and going to Bahrain for a year or going to one of those remote billets like in the Samoa Islands. Now, there's another set of overseas billets, the ones that not everyone can take advantage of, but they're primarily for warrant officers, and officers can take advantage of these. There's a couple enlisted positions as well in the IT areas, in the HR areas like Yeoman, but they're primarily for warrants is the bulk of these units, but they're sector field offices overseas, and they're meant to do marine inspections of U.S. vessels that frequently port overseas due to their nature of their work. And so we have one location in Shinnin. I, I think I pronounced it Shinnin, Netherlands. And where that is is one of the busiest shipping ports in all of Europe. So you essentially you live in the Netherlands for three years doing marine inspections or whatever your role happens to be there. That's just the primary one, like I said. And you can get an apartment there and you can take all your leave and you're in Europe already. Same thing goes for Activities Far East, which is based in Japan in the Tokyo region. And Far East does all their inspections in the Asian countries, in the Australian countries. So you'll have the opportunity to take your leave around those areas, but you'll be primarily based around the Tokyo, Japan region. 
for your home base of operations if you do decide to take advantage of sector or field office far east. So now the field offices are covered, I guess, you know, I haven't been talking too long this episode, so I can get more in depth because I've been kind of vague about specific locations that I know of. So coming from a marine science technician background and now in the prevention world, I'm going to be primarily again stationed at marine safety units, sectors, or maybe even a marine safety detachment if the cards line up. They do a good job. So the thing is, when I give this list of places that I know of that you can get stationed, it's very kind of prevention, marine science technician biased. So if I leave some places off, you know, don't shoot the messenger, but I'm going to do my best to make sure I get everything covered for all-encompassing for the rates. And we're going to start out from the western tip of Alaska, work our way down the Pacific, and try to go around the uh, country and see how we do. So starting with Alaska, there's Dutch Harbor, a little fishing village. Um, You have Kodiak, Alaska, and there's an air station there. And there's also a little marine safety detachment. They got um, a lot of boats there, too. I have some friends that are now stationed in Kodiak. So it's a huge support unit. Uh, Primarily, though, it's built around. uh, They got some cutters up there. So there's a Coast Guard asset base. And there's also the air station, which is a huge critical component there. So a lot of different rates can go to Kodiak. That's going to be one of your first biggest hits going along the track here. Other big one for Alaska is Sector Anchorage, which is just north of that area on mainland Alaska. So Kodiak's an island. Sector Anchorage is going to be mainland. And with Sector Anchorage, what you end up getting is this joint military-based complex that the Coast Guard is in called Jaber. And because it's a sector for Alaska and it's kind of like the head capital sector of Alaska, that's where your district building is going to be. So you got your lawyers there and you got a lot of higher up officers in that region. And you also have um, a huge marine safety detachment um, sector there. So it's a sector with a bunch of marine science technicians that are going to be out there doing inspections. Don't know about how many boat assets there are, but those might primarily be in Kodiak, like I said. So continuing east um, on the Alaska Basin, you got Valdez, Alaska, again, another marine safety unit. So a lot of inspections going on there, and there's a lot of response opportunities for response officers uh, in terms of dealing with like pollution prevention and stuff. Uh, that's where the Exxon Valdez incident happened in Prince William Sound. So they're really built up heavily there in response prevention. Moving east, you got, there's an air station in Sitka, Alaska. So Sitka, Alaska is um, kind of a smaller community, but it's still a very important asset to have there being an air search and rescue station. And there's also Ketchikan, Alaska, out in that eastern region, and again, more in southeastern Alaska. And there's another sector there, uh, Juneau, Alaska, which is the capital of Alaska. So Juneau is kind of like an isolated portion of Alaska, where 
in Anchorage and Valdez, you can kind of drive and there's roads. Juneau is kind of an isolated its own entity. There's no roads into Juneau due to the mountain range. So you're either taking a boat there or you're flying in. Kind of a unique environment, but they got a whole range of assets there. There's a lot of intelligence going on there. So intelligence specialists and cyber and crypto is pretty big there for the Alaskan region. And then let's move past Canada. I don't think there's any U.S. Coast Guard station in uh, British Columbia, unfortunately. That'd be a pretty cool station, though. (laughs) So maybe in the future, right? Um, Go down to Washington, and you have the... I'm from Bangor, Maine, so I think it's called Bangor, Washington. And they have a couple small boat assets up there. That's, again, one of those small towns. You know, Port Townsend, Washington. You got all these small boats and small cutter areas, towns, that are going to be in that Strait of Juan de Fuca region. Seattle's obviously the big region up there that has, again... Any big sector, city, region is going to have everything. They're going to have inspections for all the commercial traffic that comes through. They're going to have um, cutters there, home ported, to be able to satisfy the missions of the Coast Guard. So I'll try to really hit home on those. Um, And they also, this is where the polar cutters are home ported. So if you're on one of the polar rollers, and right now we have one, a whopping one polar roller active in the U.S. Coast Guard, you can get stationed on two of them, but only one goes to Antarctica. And, you know, that's going to be the Polar Star. And that is home port in Seattle when it is home, the red hole of the Coast Guard. And moving further south, you got Portland, Oregon. They have an air station in North Bend, Oregon. So... They used to have, I guess they're combining it now, but there used to be two separate um, areas. There'd be on the actual coast of Oregon in Astoria is where the sector would be. And then the Marine Safety Unit was in Portland. But now I guess the sector's moving to Portland. And so that's going to all combine now into Portland, Oregon. Again, though, wide lightning of assets. You got the whole wide range of assets covered there with cutters, boat stations, and uh, marine safety. So, moving further south, you got Sector Humboldt Bay, which is like the northern California region where they're the beautiful mountainous regions and lots of great hiking out there. Uh, Further south from that is going to be Sector San Francisco. And then, you know, in between there, you got a bunch of surf stations in this whole northwest region, too. So I don't want to leave those out, but you got like Grays Harbor, Washington, and Bodega Bay in California. And uh, Oregon also has a couple that are uh, slipping my mind what the names are of them. But all these little like surf areas where they have like high wave impacts are going to be for the surf community, which we talked about the surf community with, of course, now MST3, Sterling Opsal. So if you want to hear more about the surf station life, you can go check out that episode. Um, so moving south of San Francisco, we have um, a couple um, smaller type uh, regions. There's a couple assets in Monterey. That's also where the language learning school is. So if you become an intelligence specialist, you'll go to the Defense Language School in Monterey, California, which is about two hours south of San Francisco. And you'll be told to learn a language and you'll spend a year there studying said language at the Defense Language School, which people from all services go to. So you'll be with other services there. 
Um, going further south, I believe uh, Santa Barbara has a little marine safety detachment there. Not a bad place to get stationed, right? Then you have Los Angeles, San Diego, and those are really the big regions for California. Los Angeles is actually interesting because there's Los Angeles slash Long Beach. So two really big shipping ports covered by those. And San Pedro has the Cutter Fleet, which is also in the region there. So that whole area has a whole bunch of assets that I got a lot of people I know that are stationed there and a whole lightning of things. And with all these uh, sector areas too, you're going to have your prevention, your cyber, your search and rescue. And so all those are covered when I say these sector areas. I'm not just limiting it just to prevention, but again, that's what I know. So whenever I mention these sectors, you can count on there being a bunch of ISs there, uh, SKs, YNs, cyber specialists, so ITs. They're all going to be there in huge numbers. After the West Coast, we'll start in Texas. At the very tip at the Mexican border, we have Brownsville, Texas, which is a marine safety detachment for um, marine science technicians. And north of Brownsville, we have Sector um, Corpus Christi. And that's going to have a whole lightning of assets again there, along with a lot of cutters and small boat stations and aids to navigation units fostering the region. And there's also a intelligence specialist uh, cyber secret unit. I don't know what they do because I don't know much about the ISs. They don't share much. But a lot of people that I knew from A school got stationed in San Antonio, Texas. So San Antonio has a Coast Guard presence with uh, Coast Guard cyber as well. Um, let's see, going more north. Houston? Yeah, Houston Galveston would be next. That's going to be a huge uh, sector of traffic there. One of the biggest regions in the Gulf area for shipping traffic of foreign and domestic. And they got a lot of cool assets going on there. So you got Houston, Galveston, and then uh, on the eastern portion of Texas, you have Port Arthur, which is a, another marine safety unit shipping area. And I don't want to leave out also in the Houston, Galveston regions, Texas City as well, which is kind of more coastal. Uh, Houston Galveston's actually upriver. So you got Texas City, which is kind of like coastal, like 40 minutes away. And then Port Arthur is the eastern MSU. But they're both marine safety units with huge traffic volumes. Just along the border in Louisiana, there's Lake Charles. Moving down into the Bayou region, Lafayette has some Coast Guard presence. And Baton Rouge has some Coast Guard presence. Homa. And Morgan City for the marine safety units. And then New Orleans, which is just a massive conglomerate. That's going to be where you have all your assets of air stations, search and rescue, boats, Aton units, cyber inspections. Name it's one of the busiest sectors in the entire region. That's also where the District 8 headquarters is. And then we keep moving east and you got Mobile, Alabama and I know I skipped Mississippi, but there's a little marine safety attachment there in Vicksburg, Mississippi. We'll touch the rivers in a little bit. Keep going east past Mobile, Alabama. You got uh, 
sector uh, Tampa, Clearwater area. So St. Pete is the actual name of it. It's the whole Tampa Bay area, though. So it's uh, sector St. Pete is that region. And they have smaller units there. There's some detachments for ESDs and MSDs in Panama City. So again, it's again with all those smaller units that I might not hit all those detachments, but I'll hit the ones that I know of. Moving along south, you got a detached duty in Fort Myers, Florida. It's a really small location. And the big hit is, of course, with all the migrant ops going on in Key West, Florida. You got that on the southern tip. And moving east, there's a big sector in Miami. And then moving more north from there, you got Jacksonville, Florida. And continuing your way north in Georgia, there's Savannah, which is another marine safety unit. And Kings Bay is also an area in very southern Georgia in St. Mary's region where you got a bunch of small boat assets and some smaller cutters in the region too. Don't forget that one because that's like in the Navy base Jacksonville region. And then Charleston, South Carolina is going to be your next big hub where there's a lot of Coast Guard assets there. Making your way north, there's Wilmington, North Carolina. It's another sector region there. And you have Elizabeth City in northern North Carolina where the ASTs normally train. They're not training there right now because the pool's getting renovated. But you also have all your airmen station training going on there for your aviation electronics technicians and aviation maintenance technicians. So anyone interested in aviation is going to be heading to Elizabeth City at some point. And then moving north from there. You got Virginia Beach in Virginia, which is primarily a area for doing uh, inspections, but they also have some cutter assets out there in a little uh, base called Little Creek that's shared with the Navy. And then a little bit further north from there is, of course, the big hub in Portsmouth, Virginia, with all those cutters and all your assets there. Also in the region is where the district building is for D5. And then just north of there is going to be good old training center Yorktown where most of the people going for operational rate schools are going to be going to A school uh, for however long your A school length is. Yorktown's a pretty nice area. I really like it in Yorktown. Making your way north from there, you got um, Alexandria, Virginia where the honor guard is based out of. And that's where they do all the ceremonies for um, the government and the country. And they travel around, do a lot of really cool stuff in the honor guard. Then past the honor guard, you have Washington, D.C. headquarters. What else can you say? There's a bunch of big wigs up there that are really powerful people, uh, have a lot of influence in the Coast Guard. In Coast Guard headquarters where all of our high-up admirals are located. So, Commandant, Vice Commandant, that's where their home base is. Then, making your way north from Washington, D.C., you have, um, there's an air station in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And you have the Philadelphia region, too, which is another big area for Coast Guard-wise. And Cape May, home to everyone going to boot camp is going to be heading to Cape May, New Jersey. So... 
you got our, you know, homebred training center there for the Coast Guard and make your way north from there. You got um, New York City, one of the largest conglomerations of Coast Guard and one of the busiest sectors in the country. There's a lot of coasties in New York City. And then make your way north from there. You got sector uh, southeast New England, which is going to be in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Split, though. Some assets are in Providence, Rhode Island. I don't want to forget Connecticut with New Haven has a pretty good uh, sector in Long Island Sound. And then we got Boston for Massachusetts. And then working your way north from Boston is going to be sector northern New England in Portland, Maine. Now, let's say that we took a dip down the St. Lawrence River and we're headed inland. You're going to have along that river uh, Buffalo, New York. And then you're also going to have, when you get to the lakes, there's sector Detroit and you got sector Milwaukee and MSU Cleveland, Ohio. And then all amongst, scattered amongst these, is small boat stations, and you got in northern Michigan, Sector Sioux, St. Marie. So there's a whole ton of areas in D9 if you're interested in going up to D9. Beautiful area, really cold, so pick your poison. And then going down the western rivers, um, St. Louis, Missouri is a really big one in terms of that's where the pay and personnel center is. No. St. Louis does have Coast Guard, but the Payne Personnel Center is in Topeka, Kansas. So that's where a whole bunch of yeomen are stationed. And then Nashville, Tennessee is a pretty popular one. There is a group in Memphis, I believe. But Nashville is going to be your huge uh, sector stop there in the Western Rivers region. Illinois and Iowa have some river tender stations. Friend was stationed the Wyaconda. I'm one of those. So I know I've covered a lot, but what I was intending on doing is you guys can skip to where you want to hear more about and study that region in closer depth. But I just wanted to give you a kind of a comprehensive overview as to where you can expect to be stationed in the Coast Guard or where you can perspire to get stationed. Personally, if I'm giving my advice, my biggest things are, I'd say, go explore somewhere away from your home that you grew up in because the government is paying for you to live somewhere else for a couple years, which not many jobs will do this for you. So you get a chance to explore another part of the country that you don't know if you're going to like or not. And how I would set that up is when you do get to the point in your career where you can make like a comprehensive dream sheet is do it by like list out what's important to you value wise like exclude region from the get-go and say that what do you want in an out of an area that you want to live in list those out do some research as to what areas meet those criterias the most to the least and fill up your dream sheet that way for instance, let's say that you write out a dream sheet like this. So let's say that I was to write one out. And I said, well, you know, I like going snowboard in the wintertime. I like hiking. I like exploring. I like mountains. I like forests. I like biking. I like going on runs in the woods. 
where are going to be the regions that most allow me to do those activities? And then, you know, you'll look around and you'll say, all right, I probably should stay away from Texas in that case, just because of what I like. And no knock on Texas for that. That's just an example. I'll give one as a pro for Texas is let's say that you like four wheeling, you know, going shooting on a ranch and you like doing some good, um, deep sea fishing and you like the heat. You don't want to deal with snow. You don't like long commutes and busy crowds. Maybe you like a region in Texas better than say New York city. So kind of base your list that way. And I think you'll be all right. As a quick caveat and wrap up, just remember, if you do want to get stationed overseas in the Coast Guard, possibilities are there for you, but you need to understand how to go about those possibilities when you shape your career because some rates are not ideal to choose for those billets later in your career, such as the Netherlands billets or the Far East billets, to name a few. A lot of people I hear asking about how do I get those, you're not eligible in your current state. That's what you get to tell them because they're looking for specific people with a specific skill set for those jobs. And so if you do really want to make that part of your career, incorporate that early in your planning process. They're pretty awesome billets. I, I've known some people that have been over there and no one has said a bad thing about them. So definitely highly recommend you take advantage of that if you're fortunate enough to be able to. I also, I know I left out a lot of smaller areas like for if you're at a civil engineering unit or you're with the C5I community, they have a lot of smaller locations that I didn't cover and I apologize, I haven't done my research, don't know all those locations, but for what I covered today, it should pertain to the most majority of the crowd here for the most part, unless you have that specialized skill set they're looking for for those positions. Please, if I pique your interest on, hey, where can I potentially get a station? Can I hear more about this region? Reach out to me, Coast to Coasties on Instagram, and I will be more than happy to send you a message giving a more detailed explanation of everything I know about that region or use my network to find people that do know about that region that have been there or are currently there. So thank you again for tuning into this episode. I know we are kind of comprehensive and a little bit all over the place with it, but it is a very important topic that a lot of you have been waiting to hear, and I hope I did my best with explaining it. Again, feedback is always appreciated, and reach out to me if you'd like to know more. I hope to get another episode out here in a couple weeks and have my guests start coming on about those different commissioning programs. So thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Coast Coaches Podcast, and I look forward to hearing you on the next one.